Hey, New Life Gillette Church, we are thrilled you decided to listen to our teaching on your favorite podcast app. If you made a decision to follow Christ today, would you let us know by visiting yes.newlifegillette.com. Here is this week's teaching. Good morning. Oh man, I feel like everybody, it's just go, stuff's going around, isn't it? It's going around. Hey, let me say welcome to the guys over at the prison to our friends at the jail and those of you who are here in the room. We're starting a new series today called Flex Seal. Everybody know what Flex Seal is? You seen the commercial? They can pick up a tractor with super glue or something? I don't know. Uh, Flex Seal, it, it promises to be able to take things that are old and broken and fix them, make them new. And so this is a series all about God's grace and about how God's grace can take us broken, beat up people and make us new. And you would assume in a series that is all about grace, I would start the series by preaching a sermon called What is Grace or something like that. Actually, that sermon is coming next week, and that is strategic because next week we are doing something special we're calling it Hospitality Worker Appreciation Sunday. Wow, that's a long title. Uh, our whole goal next Sunday is to invite the hospitality workers in Gillette, those who worked so hard over the holiday weeks to get us through the holidays and worked extra hours and all that stuff. Our hope is to invite them to church, to appreciate them. We've got some giveaways and some special things that we're going to do for the hospitality workers. That's anybody who works at a restaurant or a hotel or some kind of entertainment industry or something. And so if you know anybody like that, or if you are anybody like that right now, text them, invite them, make sure that you get them here next Sunday so that we can tell them how much we love them and appreciate them. And that is why next week I'm preaching a message about grace. that's going to have a salvation invitation at the end of it, uh, which I believe is the greatest gift that can be given in a church. And so uh, that's what we are going to do next week. So as you leave today, they will be handing out these invitation cards. Uh, we're we're going to start doing this thing called Let's Go cards. It'll be something different each week. Let's go. Like young people say let's go, so we're going to jump on it. Uh, let's go. What, what, what can we take out of this message and apply to our lives? And so as you leave today, you're going to get a card. Sarah, you got a card with you? Sarah's holding up a card. You're going to get one of those. And uh, the goal of that card is that you go out to eat sometime this week and you invite your server or you invite somebody with that card. That card is an invitation card. So get somebody here next Sunday for that. All right, let's jump into today's sermon. Hey, Josiah, are you out here? Would you come help me? Josiah's going to help me with a little illustration here. Today's sermon title is not what is grace. Today's sermon title is Buckets Leak. All of us in our faith and our relationship with God, we recognize when we first get saved, usually there's some kind of excitement or passion. Come over here and stand behind this uh, trough here. There, there's some excitement or there's passion. And so, Josiah, you are this bucket here. That's, that's Josiah. That's, that's heavy. Uh, and the problem is with the way we are filled up, the water in this bucket is like the passion that Josiah felt when he became a Christian, when he gave his life to God and he was filled with passion and excitement about being saved from his sins and, and the good things that God was going to do in his life. The problem is like the bucket leaking in our lives, our passion fades. 
It's kind of like when you're in a relationship in the honeymoon phase, it's like everything she does is perfect, right? Josiah, you guys still in the honeymoon phase? Yeah, still there. The honeymoon phase, it's like she, when she drinks her coffee, she holds it with two hands and she sips it. And it's so cute. And then after you've been married for two years, you're like, stop slurping your drink. You're driving me crazy. You know, the, honey, the passion fades, the excitement wears off. And this happens in our faith. And so as our passion for God and the excitement that our faith brings to us fades, what has happened in our lives is we have to come back for more. We got to go to church and, and we got to worship and, and we got to pray. We got to pray regularly and we got to read the Bible and we got to join a life group and we got to keep doing all these things to make sure that that passion doesn't fade too much. We got to still make sure that we have some excitement about following God, about serving God. And so we have to keep filling ourselves up. But the good news is that just like grace can fill us up, grace does not only forgive us of our sins. It does not only give us that excitement and passion that comes as a result of being forgiven of the bad things that we've done. Grace also seals, seals us. This is what we in the Wesleyan traditions call sanctification. Here's where the flex seal. This is flex tape for those of you who have never used it before. And it is hard to work with, but I'm going to make it look easy, just like they do in the infomercials. It's like super crazy stuff. So grace over time can do this thing where it actually seals us. It, it's, it's, it actually is getting us to the point where we don't leak as much. Now, we still leak, but we don't leak as much. We don't have to go back so often. It's, in fact, sometimes we can get to the point where we filled enough holes in our lives Grace has filled enough holes in our lives that we actually can start helping other people and filling other people's buckets and filling them up um, when we go to a life group or when we go to church and we can help them out. All right, everybody give Josiah a hand. Thank you, man. You see why I picked somebody with big muscles? Holding that bucket out there like that. Grace does not only forgive us. And I think that's the thing that we usually think of when we think of grace. It forgave me of my sin. God was graceful. He gave me, forgave me of my sins. But it does more than that. It will give us peace. Maybe you deal with anxiety and grace gave you peace. Maybe you deal with guilt and grace removed your guilt. Maybe you have a bad habit in your life. And over time, God gave you some instructions through scripture that helped you to remove that bad habit from your life. And that hole was sealed. And over time, in relationships and, and in our life group, people say, hey, here's some advice about how you can fill that hole in your life. And here's how you can get past that anger about that person that hurt you. And what we believe is there's a very, very practical nature to the things that we learn here at New Life or the things that we learn in church. I think God teaches us through scripture and the way that he just supernaturally heals us. It's very practical. We say Jesus makes our lives better and he makes us better at life. Now, the truth is grace did some sealing. Grace did some healing, but we are all on a messy journey right now, right? We all still have holes. Until you are perfect, until you are glorified like Christ, you still got some holes. There's, there's still some work to do. So we still need the church. We still read, we still read scripture. We still pray. We still 
come to our life group because we still got holes and we got to keep getting filled. Now, as we have more and more holes, we, we rely less and less on being feel, filled and more and more we can do the filling. It's the reason why our music will always intentionally focus on younger generations. Because our hope is that as you get older, you, you are not as desperate or as in need of the worship environment, the worship experience to fill your bucket. Our hope is that you've got some holes filled in your life so that you are less in need of constant filling. And you're at the point where you can begin to fill all right, let's get to scripture. This is what the Apostle Paul says. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. So this is, this is what fills us. This is the forgiveness. This is, this is what gives us joy in the first place. When I talk about how our excitement leaks, I want to clarify something. I am not saying that God's grace leaks. That if we don't keep doing good things, if we don't keep coming to church, if we don't pray enough, if we don't read the Bible enough, I am not saying that God's grace will eventually leak out of you. God gave you his, his gift of grace. He's not taking it back. But we believe that if you will keep coming to him, then he will continue to sanctify you and make you into the person that he created you to be. It's why our mission is not just come as you are, period. That's leaving out the end goal of the mission. Come as you are, but don't stay that way. Come as you are and become the person that God created you to be. Let him fill the holes in your life. Let him seal you. He continues, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. I love this verse. This is so cool. Why is, God's, why is God saving more and more people? Well, he tells us for two reasons. Number one, it's, it's for those people's benefit, or it's for our benefit. That, that by giving us grace, we receive the benefit of that grace. But then he also says, but who receives the glory as a result of that? Not us. I don't receive the glory for receiving a gift. If I receive a gift, then he receives the glory. The one who gave the gift receives the glory. If I was saved by being good, if I was saved by my behavior, then I would receive the glory. Look how good I am. Look how well I did. I did so good. I was good enough to get to heaven. I was good enough to receive grace. And I was good enough to receive glory. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says it's God's glory that we're working for here. So when we talk about what saves us, we talk only about him. We talk only about his gift of grace, about his sacrifice on the cross that makes it possible that he paid for our sins so that we would not have to. Grace means that he gets the glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, though we continue to leak, our spirits are being renewed every day. What are the implica implications of him saying our spirits are being renewed? 
it implies that hope fades. Passion wanes. And he says that we are being renewed as our passion wanes. And how often are we being renewed? Every day. Every morning I can wake up and I can breathe in the hope and the joy and the peace that comes from knowing that my eternity is not based on my goodness. It's not based on my strength or my ability to remove sin from my life. My hope is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. Only him. I wake up every morning and his mercies are new every morning. And those of us who've been Christians for a while are thinking, duh, that's the experience. I was really excited in the beginning and it was easy to follow God in the beginning. And then some bad things happened and I started doubting. Some people brought up some good arguments against some things in scripture. And then I started wondering, or somebody I loved got sick or died. And then I started wondering if God is really good. Over time, my confidence in God began to leak. There's probably some new believers here today that this might be information to you. Because you're thinking, man, I'm forgiven? Do you know, I, I heard that I can be forgiven for what I did. Man, things are good. God is good. I am soaring on wings like eagles. Well, you won't be. Just wait. Something's going to happen. The, the, the journey to being Glorified with God. The journey to heaven is a rocky road. There's a lot of valleys and a lot of pain between now and then. So what you need to know is that when the pain comes, his mercies are new every morning. Jesus said it this way. He said, seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. This is a description of the sanctification process. Becoming more and more like Christ. Seeking the kingdom above all the distractions of the world and allowing him to provide for you what you need. We find this advice in scripture so often. Focus on heaven, not on things of earth. Don't focus on your body. Don't focus on your stuff. And neglect your spirit. And neglect your mission in life. If you want your needs to be taken care of by God, then focus on him. Then follow him. Not your own desires. Not yourself. God's got this. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today is Sunday. And we've got things to worry about today. There's Sunday trouble, and there will be Monday trouble. How about that for optimism? That's just life. That's just experience. That's just reality. I don't have to be a prophet to know that, right? If you've lived any time at all, you don't have to be a prophet to know tomorrow's got problems that we're going to have to fix, that we're going to have to solve. Today's trouble is enough. For today, there's good news. There's a verse that I have relied on my whole life. I need it 
I quote it all the time. And ironically, it's an Old Testament passage, Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. Lamentations is a book of pain, right? It's problems. Yet right in the middle of the book, you read this message of hope, the steadfast, the unconditional love, the relentless love of the Lord never, ever ceases. Does that give you hope? His mercies are new every morning. Praise the Lord. Tomorrow has trouble coming, but it also has grace coming. It also has mercy coming. I was given grace today that God specifically designed for the troubles that were coming today. His plan, his purpose. So let's get back to the Paul passage. Paul echoes Jesus in this. He says, for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. This life is a blip. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Set your eyes on things above. Let heaven be your hope. I read a story of a guy who left the faith because he got cancer. And I'm thinking, if there is ever a day that you need faith, if there is ever a time that you need to wake up each morning and rely on the, God, the grace that God gives you each morning, it's now. Don't turn your back on him now. We're reading more and more stories of people who are leaving their faith. It seems to me that they were just kind of Christian in name only, right? But they're saying, they're coming out, they're going public. Some famous people, even some religious leaders, some Christian leaders are coming out and saying that they are going to turn their back on God, that they no longer need God in America. And so I'd like to talk about a few reasons why people, the reasons they give when they turn their back on God. The one that you hear a lot is, well, so-and-so did such and such. A, a Christian upset them. We're easily offended in our world today, and so this was enough to knock them off of their faith. We've talked a lot about this one, so I'm not going to spend a ton of time here, but how dumb is it to turn your back on God because somebody who says they follow God did something that offended you? That's the wrong reaction to somebody offending you. Don't blame God because I screwed up, because I promise you I will screw up. I will fail you. I will not be good enough for you. I will, I will, you will want me to have an ability that I won't have. You will want me to remember something that I will not remember. You will want me to say something to you that I will not say to you. I am a broken, fallen human being who will fail you. Never put your faith in me. Never put your trust in me. Follow him. Trust him. Because we all screw up. 
anything, any, any time that you claim to have, have some kind of special, for, for this special reason that, that you should put your faith in, set, that's just, you're just setting yourself up for hypocrisy. Another reason people turn their back on God is the information does not make sense to them. You know, there are more and more sources on the internet making claims about what the Bible says than I've ever seen before. I hear people saying, well, the Bible says such and such, and that's false. And I'm like, yeah, that's false, because that's not what it says. But anybody can write anything they want to on the internet, right? This is just kind of the nature of the internet. Anybody can say anything. And we are very tempted that because I read a headline on a Facebook article to have our minds just made up. I'll just keep repeating that information. Do you know how many things I've stood up here and I've preached because I've heard another preacher say, say it? I just thought they must know what they're talking about and repeated it. And then later on found out, actually, that was just wrong. Like, this is just the nature of information. We're, we're going to find out. We're going to learn. Man, if I, I don't, there are so many things that I believed when I first became a Christian that I don't believe anymore. And when I learned that I was wrong about something, my reaction wasn't, well, the Bible must be false. The logical response to that is, my interpretation must have been false. The lessons that I learned or the things that I've been told must be false. Most people have one of two objections to biblical information. One of them is biblical inerrancy. They say that if we find one error in the Bible, then we have to throw the whole thing out, right? One error proves that it was not actually written by God. The problem is, we will find errors in the Bible. That will happen. It's been happening my whole life. Do you know why they released new versions of the Bible? They just came out with a new version of the NLT. Why did they have to do that? Because they discover errors. That's just the nature of, this is the nature of translation and interpretation and, and understanding ancient languages. It's just a difficult process doesn't mean the Bible's not true. It might be an error in the way that we've interpreted something that was written, so we translated it incorrectly. It may be an issue with the, the translation of the Bible that we are using, or the other thing that people object to is cultural disconnection. When God gave a command to a people, he gave that command to those people. Sometimes we like to read the Bible as if every single sentence was written directly to me. Even, even historical narrative books of the Bible in which God said this thing to these people in this time, it's very tempting for me to say, I'm, I, I will assume that God would say the exact same thing to me in my time. That's sloppy biblical interpretation. That's just not looking at the context of the passage that you're reading. Now, there are times when there are things in Scripture that are meant to be prescriptions for you and me, but then there are other things that are not. And so you've got to read the Bible with this big picture view in mind, the whole arc of history. And there are things that God commands that God would give to some people in some times in history that he would not give to other people in other times in history. Because our greatest command is to love. And sometimes an action that would be loving in the past would not be loving now. We've got to look at the context. What is the purpose that he's trying to fulfill here? 
You also have to talk about, when you talk about doubt of Scripture, you've got to talk about evolution. There is this perceived fight between science and Scripture that should not exist. Because done correctly, science and Scripture are incredibly beneficial to each other. The world wants to make science and the Bible enemies, but the Bible is not written as a science book. The Bible is meant to explain to us things that the science cannot explain. The, the whole point of the Bible is to fill in the gaps that science has no ability to, to explain for us. Now, there are some things in Scripture that you read and you're just like, that's just miraculous. The fact that the Bible was able to make a scientific statement before the scientists in the world were able to make a discovery that would make the scientific statement possible. You do have to look at, at Scripture and recognize it's pretty miraculous in the way it spoke accurately of science before science spoke accurately of that same science. But when we talk about evolution and uh, how old the earth is and um, how it was created and all, all of this stuff, what we're doing is we're trying to figure out truth. We're trying to read scripture and correctly interpret it. There, some of the most respected theologians I know believe one thing about evolution and the origins of the earth, and some of the most respect, respected theologians believe the other thing, the opposite thing about the age of the earth and the origins of the earth. And I've got opinions too, but I kind of look at it and I just be like, this is all of us trying to be more accurate and trustworthy of Scripture. This is all of us on a pursuit of trying to more and more surrender our understanding, our knowledge to God. This is not a reason to doubt Scripture. This is a reason to study it more. All right, let's talk about another reason that people turn their backs on God. This is probably the big one. God did or did not do something in their life. Either God did something in the Bible that they think is immoral and they're judging it in hindsight or mean. They just think they know better than God. I think it's important for us in this time to talk about the sovereignty of God. Now, in a free will Armenian church, we don't talk enough about the sovereignty of God. Some people look at Scripture and they judge God's actions. They think that their morals are superior to God. That, that somehow they know better. This is usually about when God tells the Jews to kill some people in other nation. And they say, no, that's not just. Well, God is a God of justice. And God has a plan for our world. And if God judges a nation, and says that that nation needs to be judged, whatever means of judgment he uses is up to him because he is the sovereign God. We put our trust and we put our faith in him. Who am I to say that God did it wrong? That I'm wiser than God with my limited information and in his infinite information. Another one is un unanswered prayer. God didn't do this for me. I asked him and I asked him and I begged him and I begged him and he didn't do it. Usually how people say it is God wasn't listening. Well, maybe he was listening and the answer was no. 
He knew that giving you the request you were asking for would hurt you or hurt somebody else. No, I will not give that to you. He's big. He's sovereign. He has greater understanding than we do. God, I tithed, I served, I did everything you wanted me to do. And when I asked you to take away the cancer, you didn't do it. I don't believe in you anymore because I think I know better. We don't know better. He is sovereign. Another one is the problem of evil. How could a loving God send people to hell? Why would God even create people? knowing that so many of them would be punished in hell. Now, these are huge questions. On the uh, Church 07 podcast tomorrow, we interviewed a, a pastor friend of mine who's an expert on hell, and, and we asked him a lot of questions about hell. That's just, that's a difficult conversation. I don't have time to fully have that conversation with you today, but check out the podcast tomorrow. Church 307 on YouTube. Um, our podcast, I think, will be beneficial to you? And these are huge questions, and I do not want to minimize them. I think sometimes I can talk sarcastically because I'm a very opinionated person, and I, I hope that my sarcastic speak does not make you feel like I'm minimizing your doubts if you have doubts about God. I get it. I, all of these things, all these doubts and all these questions, I've had them all. I've been there. They are difficult to wrestle with, but what I've had to do in each one of these times of wrestling is saying, God, I don't get it. I don't understand, but I trust you anyway. I put my faith in you. I believe that you knew what you were doing when you did it. And the last one we'll talk about is the problem of pain. How could God allow so much pain in the world? Why does he allow natural disasters? Why does he allow little kids to be hurt? The truth is, and it all kind of comes down to this, the truth is that pain is a consequence of free will. No matter what way you look at it, you can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and you can say that because of their bad mistake or their bad decision and then their children's bad decisions and then their children's bad decisions and then this domino effect that happens all throughout history has just caused more and more pain, more and more problems all throughout history. Because you know this is true. You know that your kids suffer the consequences of your actions. And you compound that problem throughout ge for generation after generation, bad decision after ge bad decision. It, it, the problems that are caused as a result of sin just get bigger and bigger over time. Adam and Eve started it. They brought this sin pain problem into our world. But now what is happening? Now what is happening is Jesus has offered a solution to this pain. He has promised that he would fill the holes, that he would seal our lives, that he would heal our wounds and our pains. All of us need to be healed by his grace. So he sacrificed himself. You want to talk about the problem of pain? What about his pain? God, the God of the universe, leaves his throne in heaven, and he comes to a manger. He comes down and he is tortured and he suffers pain like we've not experienced. And he experiences pain so that our holes can be filled, so that we can be sealed, so that his grace can perfect us and can heal us. I think I have this question often. 
why doesn't God just make us entirely sanctified right now? Why not just fill all the holes right away? Just God do a miracle and make all the Christians perfect. Take away all my temptations to sin. The hard thing about this conversation is he could. God is perfectly capable of doing that. You know how I know? Because he's going to do it someday. Because he promised that he is going to someday. Someday he is going to glorify us, to make us perfect, but not yet. God, just take away the temptation. Take away the selfishness. Make me more generous. God, make, make people love me more and make me love other people more. God, just do some miracle and make it all good. He will do that. But first, we have some lessons to learn. We have lessons to learn. and God has glory to get. Because you know what would happen if we were all made perfect right now? We would all get a lot of glory. There would be a lot of people around the world looking at us and saying, wow, look how good they are. Look how great they are. And they would glorify us. That's not the goal. That's not our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God, to bring him glory. Because we think, God, I don't want to be renewed every day. I, I want to be done with the fighting. And he says, no, fighting is the plan. Because as Paul was saying, the pains lead to lessons. We learn through these. We mature through these. We grow through these. If I've experienced a pain, then if I'm witnessing to somebody who is not yet a Christian, who has that pain in their life, just like Jesus is with us, I'm able to relate to them. I'm able to give them advice from experience. This pain, even though it's terrible, it serves a purpose. If God is going to get the glory, the hope of the world cannot be in my perfection. It's got to be in his perfection. It's got to be in his goodness. That is why we believe that God sanctifies us slowly. Not always, I'm not making some blanket statement. But when I look at the way God has, there's some of you out here that are sanctified well beyond me. You got a lot more holes in your life filled than I do. But I look at your life and I realize there's a journey. There was a lot, there was a lot happened between God, I'm yours, and my holes are filled. The fact that we run out of gas every day puts us back in the gas station. And that's where he wants us, to get refueled, to go back and recognize the source of our hope. Remember where your hope comes from. Remember where grace comes from. Every morning, allow him to refill you. Many of us are sitting here today, and we look a lot like this. And we'd like to just be nice, clean, neat, all the hope and all the peace and all the joy on the inside and all the holes filled and covered. That's just not where we are, right? I know this isn't where you are. I know this is what you're experiencing. This is, there's pain in your life you're dealing with. And you're here this morning because you need it to be refilled. I'm about to run out here. It's almost empty. 
I, I'm, I, need, I need somebody else to pour some more in here because I'm about out of hope. It is when you are in those seasons of your life that I beg of you to set your eyes on things above. Run to him. Do the things that he told us to do in the beginning. Become the person that he created you to be. And then someday, our great hope, hope that goes even beyond some flex seal tape on the outside of our bucket, is that we will be made entirely new. You will be resurrected like Christ. You will receive a new body. You will be glorified and spend eternity with him in heaven. That is our great hope. That's why we set our eyes on things above. Because the things in this world, we don't have hope of that in this world. The pain just keeps coming. But our great hope, our great faith is him, is eternal life with him. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing one last song. And my invitation is that while you're, we're singing this song, stand up while we're singing and fully give yourself to God. As we're singing it, set your eyes on things above. Somebody needs to raise their hands who hasn't raised their hands in worship before and just more fully surrender. Just say, God, I am yours. Every morning, I am yours. I put my faith in you. I put my faith, my faith in you and not in myself. God, we thank you for grace. We thank you for the mercies that are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to us. You are our eternal hope. So we set our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen.